From the shores of Summer Lake in Tigard, Oregon, it's the Portland Tim Beers Podcast, a show featuring two guys who love craft beer and Portland Timbers soccer. And now, here are your hosts, Jason and Gary. Tim Beers. I'm Jason. I'm Gary. We're the uh, Portland Tim Beers. We talk a little bit about soccer, beer, and pretty much whatever else we want. How you doing, buddy? It's been a while. It's been a long while. Yeah. Yep, yep. Work schedules are kind of crushing the uh, podcast right now. Yeah, I would agree. It's uh, been kind of a crazy time. <laughs> this whole this whole adulting thing, it's getting in the way. Yep. Well, we are here, and that's what counts. We're here for you listeners, and uh, we've got a treat in store for you tonight. So first of all, happy uh, National IPA Day. Did you know it's National IPA Day? I did, based off what you told me earlier when you fed me an IPA, telling me it was National IPA Day. Well, I just gave you a fine dandy. It's called fruit Futuristic. <laughs> it's a tangerine IPA. Really? Yeah. Let's see how this compares to what you just brewed there, big dog. So this is by uh, Valley Brewing Company out of Yakima. Oh. <laughs> you know what that tastes like? Sunny D. No. What? It, it tastes like a creamsicle with just a slight hint of tangerine. <laughs> That's what I'm picking up. Creamsicle with tangerine. Yeah, it's uh, it's pretty good, huh? It's not bad. So this is a uh, tangerine IPA with milk sugar and vanilla beans. That's what it is. I'm tasting that milk sugar and vanilla bean. And it is bright orange. Yeah, it looks like a Sunny D, just like you described earlier. It's like I'm drinking a Sunny D, but it doesn't taste like Sunny D. Yeah, not at all. But uh, it is tasty. Damn, that's fantastic. I swear that's like an orange creamsicle. That's what that tastes like. Well, so thank, thanks to the guys down at uh, Valley Brewing Company and. Yakima. Been spending quite a bit of time in Yakima, <laughs> getting to know the breweries and the brewing scene. Things aren't going so well there, man. No. Shit's closing right and left. Man, it's a shit show. Not sure what's going on, but we got hopefully some good stuff set up here in the next couple of weeks with some interviews folks from folks down there. Yeah. Or up there, I guess. And uh, and then the goal is to hook up with Loftus Farms and hopefully do uh some sort of tour during hop season as they're starting to pluck uh, the fine little flowers off the hop vines. Yeah, so, that'd be, that'd be kind of cool. That'd be great there for hop to be there during hop season. So you Start calling you sticky fingers after that. Yeah, I've got sticky hands. <laughs> I believe that's something we've tried on this podcast. <laughs> oh. To keep this straight and narrow down the middle of the line like e- I like to keep it. Yeah, yeah. You dirty bastard. That's trying not to- me. It's not me at all. <laughs> Listeners will know that's not true. <laughs> You're always taking this off the rails. That is so much crap. <laughs> well, so uh, today's episode, um, we have a white whale, I believe as they call it. We've been talking about this for a while. Yes. Thund- We've been pushing it. Yeah. So Thunder Island. This is the infamous two-hour interview. We're going to break this into a couple segments because... Uh, 
Nobody can really stand listening to Gary and I, let alone Gary, Tim, and I for two hours. <laughs> it's only because of the Tim equation. Yeah, I mean, Tim, you get 15-minute bursts, and that's about it. So, I mean, even his wife says that. So, Wow. <laughs> He's not here to defend himself, so... So, uh, yeah, we, uh, at the end of May, beginning of June, uh, hooked up with Dave Lips and Andy Rosette. Dave is the uh, founder and owner, along with his wife, of Thunder Island Brewing there in Cascade Locks. And they invited us down to check out their new uh, brewery. And then uh, Andy Rosette, their head brewer, uh, was there as well and slinging beers and teaching us about... Uh, what kind of good beers they're pouring in there at Thunder Island. So really good time. Really yeah. good time. Yeah, it was a fantastic time, man. We had a great time. Yes. So apologies that it's been delayed. Uh, lots of stuff going on, kind of, I guess. Uh, <laughs> but the bigger thing is, uh, you know, what's most important is we're here now and we're going to roll this bad boy out. Yes. So, so with that, here is the first part, part one of two of our interview with Thunder Island. All right, it's Jason from the Timbers here. We're at Thunder Island. I uh, want to thank the guys here at Thunder Island for having us out. Uh, I believe, Gary, this was your car. It was my car. So uh, Dave got into contact with us, and um, with that, we'll let you introduce yourself, talk a little bit about the brewery, where it's at, um, and we'll go from there. Yeah. Uh, my name is Dave. I'm one of the owners of Thunder Island Brewing in Cascade Locks, Oregon. Uh, my wife and I started, well, now my wife, we weren't actually married when we started, started the brewery uh, seven years ago uh, out here. And uh, yeah, it, uh, it was a project that evolved from, uh, I was uh, living in Portland, brewing beer in my backyard and started grow that a little bit, started what we call a community supported brewery, kind of like a CSA, <laughs> a CSB, uh, and we would brew a bunch of beer and have people come out and get a growler at a time, because uh, I, I tried to, you know, I, at the time I was brewing a bunch of beer, and the problem with home brewing is you have too much beer usually, yes. and you don't have enough people to drink it. Um, I tried to throw some parties and get uh, people to come over and like donate money, but I have really cheap friends, and I think like one time I got six bucks from, from a five-gallon keg, and I was like, ah, this is not where we sell. Uh, yeah, so that's the, we started doing that, and then uh, ended up looking for a location to start a brewery, and moved out here seven years ago, and, uh, you know, originally we were going to... Uh, Cascade Locks is like a pretty small town. There's not a lot of buildings. Yeah. So we kind of got stuck in the, this little park area, which ended up being a really amazing spot. And we started there for seven years. We've been going strong. And then uh, now we are building a new building, which is going to be done in August, where we are right now. And uh, yeah, we're going to be, hopefully, fingers crossed, being able to open in August. You know, coronavirus, we don't know what's <laughs> going to happen there. but. Uh, Hopefully in August, fingers crossed, we are allowed to open, and then we've got this space here that we're going to be moving to. So, sweet. Well, thanks, uh, Dave, again for having us out. Dave, uh, owner and founder uh, of this. So you opened the brewery, um, I think, seven years ago. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Yep, so. 2013. Okay. And you and a partner opened this thing, and you had this yep. vision of what you wanted to do. Yep. Why Cascade Lakes? 
for Cascade Locks. Or not Locks. Cascade Locks, Cascade Locks. Yeah, yeah. Cascade Locks. Well, uh, at the time, Ooh. my job was a, uh, a tour guide on bicycles in Portland. Okay. And uh, I was giving tours uh, to a bunch of breweries, and I was also giving tours to the Columbia Gorge a lot, and I was coming back here out here all the time. And uh, we also had some friends that uh, were at the Portland State University's Merck program, which was a master's of urban planning and development, or I don't know, planning school in okay. uh, Portland. And they actually did an economic study on Cascade Locks. And that study said, well, uh, there's this town that was economically depressed. It was a dying town at the time. There was a lower and lower population for you know, 20 years in a row. And it's like, well, what can you do for this town to make it a successful town? Um, and there had been a lot of projects proposed, like uh, Nestle or a Casino. And then uh, really this planning school came out here and they looked at the town and it was seven students and they're like, well, you have six hiking trails that come through town. You have world-class small boat sailing, windsurfing, uh, just out on the river. You yeah. have um, 45 minutes to Portland with over 100 waterfalls in a 80 mile stretch. Um, so if you just take all those outdoor activities and, and connect them to amenities, things like restaurants, brewery, bars, cafes, um, you know, there's your plan for your town to become successful. So I heard that and then I was like, well, uh, you know, there's nothing out there now. And uh, Portland was pretty packed. So um, I was like, well, I'll make the move. And uh, you know, it's a sweet little town. We're on the Pacific Crest Trail. We, um, uh, you know, there's kind of all, everything you could want is out here. And it's still only 45 minutes from Portland. Um, and that 45 minutes is about 30 minutes with almost never any traffic, um, just because of the way where you're going. It, it right. sometimes actually can take you longer to get from downtown to Beaverton than it takes you to get from downtown yeah. to Cascade Locks. Um, it's uh, it's kind of an amazing spot. So yeah, totally works out. So. Dan and you brewed originally when you guys yep. started. Yes, so. I originally started with Dan, a business partner, and then he left, and then he went to Breakside Brewing. Oh, he went to Breakside. So I was trying to figure out where Dan went. So he went to Breakside yep. about 2014. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Short, and, like, shortly after we okay. opened. And then Brian, Brian joined the team. Yep, Brian Perky. Yeah. Um, who's uh, and he's now the Lollamond East sales rep. Right in Hood River, which is fascinating. Yeah, cool. <laughs> he's the national sales manager. Yeah, he he's, travels around the world. Yeah, he's in charge of all the sales reps for the Yeah, the irony there with, uh, again, White East being there. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And then he's there as the national sales guy. I'm like, wow. Okay. Well, he had previously worked for, I think, the uh, the Malting Company. Right. Is it Maltins? Maltins. Yeah, yeah so that's uh, under the same umbrella as Lollamund. Oh, uh, okay. The Seibel School. Um, and they have, they have, there's like six different categories. It's crazy. It's a, it's well, they have like a, a biopharmaceutical, they got a whole yeah, bunch of different Yeah, things. that's yeah. Their, their cash game. Yeah, like it's not here. It's all like, no. Yeah. <laughs> not at all. So, and then Brian takes, he leaves, right? So he's yeah. doing his thing, which we talked about. And so then Andrew joins a team. Yep. Andrew, introduce yourself to the listeners. How long sure. have you been here? What's yeah. your pedigree? Uh, my name's Andrew, uh, Andrew Rosette, um, head brewer here at Thunder Island. Been here in August, August as of August seventh, I'll be here three years. Um, I uh, moved to the Gorge in two thousand eleven or twelve. I, I, I quit my six-figure IT career 
to uh, move to the gorge, wanted to work at Double Mountain. Matt Swirehart wouldn't hire me. He's a friend of mine. <laughs> he wouldn't hire me. And then I went to Siebel Institute and I went to the World Brewery Academy, you know, the, the whole program that's in well, Chicago, Germany. Yeah. I came back to education. He's like, okay, you're serious. You're really serious. And so they hired me and then I worked there for two years. And then um, suddenly uh, I had an opportunity, once a life opportunity, to go help start up a craft brewery in the southwest of Ireland in County Kerry. Uh, it was Clarny Brewing Company, so that was really cool to just go to a, a country uh, that loves beer, but craft beer is such a new thing. The amount of times I got to see someone drink an IPA for the first time. That's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Wow. Yeah, you're just And the, you know, the, the faces, you could, if, I, if I could just capture it all, it, it was great. But um, So I did that, uh, and that was like a year and a half. I was trying to get it to two years. But I just really missed the gorge, and so then I moved back, and then didn't have a job or anything. Well, I mean, I took tech jobs. I, could, I have a lot of talents, but did the tech jobs, and then um, then Thunder Island. I was talking to Jess Caudell from uh, Imperial, and uh, you guys have heard of Jess? You know Jess? Mm -hmm. He's yeah. one of the main guys there. And then he, it's a small world, and then he put me in contact with Perky, and. No one calls Brian Perky Brian. He's just known as Perky. So Perky called me, and then uh, we talked, and then I came in and interviewed, and then uh, Dave and Caroline hired me, okay. and uh, been here since. Um, I must admit, the big draw have, was to help build a facility. Um, I wasn't super keen initially, just to sort of being like a pub brewer. I definitely wanted to build a brewery and be involved in that and uh, so it's that's that's why it all worked out and it works out really well and it's been uh, it's really been fun having that, that production background because we we're when things started going haywire with the with the, the virus and the out, and the outbreak and we were able to quickly pivot and, and get a mobile canner in and uh, that was that was suddenly now we're canning a lot so that's kind of a trippy thing to do yeah but uh, yeah this in fact this upcoming Saturday this giant uh, snake of a machine takes over our whole, our whole tap room. We have to empty everything out of it to fit the mobile camera. <laughs> really? Oh well, yeah, our spot's so tiny. That, like yeah. our, our spot now is the, the dishwashers carrying dishes walk through the tanks. Yeah. Get, really? Oh yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. yeah. That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. Crazy. Well, I always I wondered. I was doing the back study on you, and I'm like, so technology consultant is what's down on LinkedIn. Okay. And uh, I'm like, he's leaving a six-figure job to come be a brewer, do plumbing and washing and cleaning. And yeah, yeah. What, what's the story there? And, I mean, you gave, it's just the dream of being in the gorge and brewing beer. Uh, yeah, I just, you know, um, I had this, this sounds so corny, but I had this one girlfriend at one time that had this phrase, but with all the, tongue, the words of tongue and pen, the saddest are these it might have been. And so uh, that, I don't know, my dad died in his early 40s and I'm 47. So I was just like, I don't, like, I'm good at what I do in tech, but I mean, so tech industry, if you're good at what you do, you don't know who the IT guy is, right? Right. Like, right. I don't know the IT guy exactly. if all your shit works. Can I swear on this thing? Yeah, absolutely. Motherfucker! <laughs> right, cool. <laughs> we were just talking about that on the way over. We've been yeah. marked explicit, explicit, and we have no way to get the tag off. So we're an explicit podcast. You well, that's, say mother, that's all the fucking great. Yeah. Yeah. I hope this shit just keeps rolling. Yeah. <laughs> Can't do it. 
but uh, uh, yeah, I just uh, it's a so you don't unless you you know you in the IT world like could be really good at what your job is, but no one knows who you are. And then suddenly I realized I'm just a simple creature. I'm kind of affirmation-based. Mm-hmm. And then I also was like, what's what's the freaking point of being like, yeah, I was really good at implementing Exchange 5.5 in a <laughs> 4,000 seat enterprise. Like, it's, it's like, infer- it's useless. It's just, it just disappears, <laughs> right? It's just like, oh, sweet, you knew DOS or whatever. So now I, it pays really well, but I was just all like, you know what? I'd rather be associated with something that's like tangible. And then I was always homebrewing, uh, and then I went on and off, and then when I toured Stone's production facility in like late, mid, late 2000s, I started brewing in 1984, no, no, sorry, 1982, and, um, but uh, I was just like, I am going to go hardcore to this, because I was... You guys ever been to that facility, the Stone? The, in Escondido? Yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Stone Gardens, kind of gardens. Just a production facility, yeah. and it's just all dialed, and you walk in, you're like, they actually brew beer in here? So um, that probably attests to what we're trying to do downstairs. Like, you'll wonder sometimes if there's actually beer being made, because I'm that kind of person. I like to be, like, nice and dialed and clean. And I don't know. It's just, like, people want people. They see a dirty brewery. I always wonder. They're, they're always going to wonder if the beer is good. Right, right. <laughs> it's that it's that whole marketing thing of having it clean and polished, but really behind the scenes, it's like it's chaos. It's a brewery, right? So, it is, yeah. but you can still clean up every day. Yeah. yeah, you are the right man for this new facility because it doesn't look like there's any place to hide. And that, was, all, that was all. That was all design. I think we talked about it. I'm like Dave. And I'm like, like we're like, we're we uh, we're gonna have some night. It's gonna be a brewer's brewery. It's um, putting up the new glycol lines next week. Uh, it's me and two other guys, and um, and then uh, the I'm sorry, we're doing that following week because we have to take a break because we're putting our epoxy floors in on Monday. Wow. Well, Dave. So early on, you were home brewing. You and Dan are home yeah. brewing. You're doing your thing. You decide yeah. we're going to open a brewery. Open a two barrel brewery. I believe was your yeah. first brewery here, yeah. right? Then it goes to seven barrels, I believe. Yeah. You made the investment. You had a fire in between, right? Was there? Yeah. Tell me about the, the fire. What happened with the fire? The Eagle Creek fire. Yeah, that yeah. was uh, that was a crazy year. You know that. that uh, well, of course, now in retrospect, compared to coronavirus, <laughs> right? It's, it's, it's like it's like we got shut down for three weeks, and you know this and that. Um, but yeah, the fire was super crazy. Um, and it shut down business completely, right? Yeah, it shut yeah. down business, shut down economy. It was scary. I mean, you the first day you could see uh, the actually on those mountains right out the window, you can see those dead trees. That's where the fire started. And uh, I actually had, uh, the night of the fire, I had 10 PCT hikers staying at my house. And um, we wake up in the morning, you know, you can see the car in the driveway. And, and it was like, I wake up all the PCT hikers, and I was like, look guys, uh, got like this notice, we gotta get out of here, and they're like, well, like when do I leave, need to leave by? And they're like, they're like, can I still go back to bed? And I was like, yeah, you know, you can probably get out of here. Um, you can. So yeah, we like evacuated everything, evacuated the brewery, and then um, thankfully by the, time the fire was like right at the outside of Cascade Locks, the winds flipped and it went 30 mile an hour uh, 
winds that blew the fire towards Portland. <laughs> right. But it blew it away from us, and it gave the firefighters enough time to make a, a fire line around the town. And the crazy thing is, after that, well, so we evacuated. <laughs> we evacuated to our friend's house in Washington, and the next, like, whenever those winds flipped, it started going the over fire the fire actually jumped the river to two miles next to his house. Oh. So then we had to evacuate oh, his wow. house. Wow. Um, and then, uh, and then, yeah, and then the, by the time it came back this way, yeah, the crazy thing is the fire actually passed through town in the mountains, and they had just made, like, a massive fire line that was, like, 60 feet wide just all the way past town, and you could just see the burn map of the fire just passing wow. over us. Oh, wow. um, so huge credit to the firefighters, they know what they're doing, and uh, they, there was a lot of pros, a lot of volunteers that came out and helped, um, you know, and I think there was close to a thousand firefighters on the fire. Um, if I remember at the city rally, and I think you guys rallied too, and fed the firefighters, yeah. there was a huge yeah. community effort to do that. Which is similar to what we're going through with COVID now, right? Yeah. I mean, you guys had massive business disruption, something that yeah. simply shut down a lot of other breweries. I mean, there's people that are not going to survive this. You guys appear to be coming out of it, I mean, wounded, but much, yeah. but stronger and probably better in the future, right? Yeah. But you're also giving back to the community, too. Tell, tell the listeners a little bit about how you survived this COVID thing um, and what you're doing in the community. Yeah, well, the... Coronavirus is, uh, yeah, it, it's its own monster that, um, You and I have been watching that thing since, yeah. like, early January. Right. Dave yeah. and I are kind of nerds about this stuff, and we can't even know what outcomes. I yeah. just, but you and I were like, no, this we, is trippy. We were following, <laughs> like, John Hopkins' map. Yeah. And, and I think in early February... Andrew went to Mexico. Oh, went to Mexico, yeah. yeah. And, 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 <laughs> the first vacation on a long ass time. And I'm like, I don't know if I'm gonna be able to come back. And he's like, I don't know if it's a good time. And actually, uh, my mother-in-law was in Korea. And uh, the coronavirus kind of hit Korea early on and then she yeah. actually came back to the US, which in retrospect, I'm like, you should have stayed in Korea. <laughs> the US is not a safe place to be now. Patient number one, uh, right? <laughs> yeah, but um, no, so, no, it's we've been watching it. It's been uh, it's been a challenge. I mean, to go full stop when we got that notice in early March. You know, that was a huge four of us. Yeah, so we four cut our staff down to as small as we could go. We um, we did as much as we could possibly do for our staff that we had. I mean, we had people that have been working for us for five years um, that we had to lay off, which was really difficult. So that part was kind of where we focused on and kind of worked on trying to make sure everybody was set up. But then um, we've kind of just been uh, barely hanging in there. You know, we switched to doing uh, canning to get our beer out there. And uh, other than that, I mean, it's it's a crazy time because the most important thing is to like, not interact with people, you know? Right. Yeah. So has the canning part really been kind of a lifeline for you guys then? To keep yeah. things going for you? Yeah, I mean, we could have, like, we had a choice in early March, or mid-March, which was like, do we shut down, shut down, or do we keep going? And um, I think I brought, like, some of the staff in, and 
and I think the three people that I brought in, four people that were there, it was like, look, we've already paid for all the beer. We've already paid for all the food. Like, we have inventory. So at this point, like, my goal is just to get everybody paid, right? Like, can we, right. like, our number one goal is to get it so we can just make enough money so we can all get, you know, all the staff can get paid. Second best thing was, like, get enough money to buy more inventory. And the third best thing was to pay the bills. Um, so that was that was March. And then eventually the PPP loan came through, which was a godsend. And we were able to hire people back. It came right at the right time when the um, our county got opened up again, because we've had pretty low cases out here. And then, uh, of course, now we're, now we're actually understaffed and we're kind of now we have our own challenges because uh, it's very lucrative not to be uh, unemployed. Working, working somewhere right now, right? Yeah. And then the um, amount. And of I don't blame people. I mean, you can make. I mean, and it's actually kind of the safer thing to do. It's like, do I go and where there's all these people, or do I stay home? Right. Well, and I, my son's one of those people. My son worked five days or five hours a week as a lifeguard. He's in high school, and now he's making seven hundred bucks. Yeah, or before he's bringing up, I'm like, he's never gonna want to work. He's gonna yeah. want to be on the forever. Yeah. <laughs> but we see businesses and breweries and restaurants having a hard time hiring staff back because a, it's safer. There's a fear of yeah. am I gonna get something yeah. or spread something, right? But also, to be honest, I'm making more money right now sitting at home yeah. doing that, and so something's gonna have to change. Eventually, that will yeah. run out. But um, and the nice thing is the crowds aren't overwhelming at this point. Yeah. Um, in some respects, from a business owner's perspective, you're like, man, I wish the crowds had come back, right? Yeah, we're catch we're getting right. We're kind of so we're going. We're pretty swamped right now because we're actually coming from like February, March staffing oh. into June, right? So it's like the that staffing we have is like the smallest staff that we have right. in the year, and then we didn't hire anybody new and then suddenly the, the hardest thing was probably the whiplash of like shutting down right away and then starting back and then up. starting back up right uh, away. and yeah. it, the hardest thing was like well when we shut down right away it's like well we still had payroll to meet we still had you know inventory that we ordered that was on its way um so we still had a lot of obligations and then then starting up right away it's like no it, to get the engine going it it actually takes quite a bit. And yeah. We're changing a lot of things the way we do our operation. So because we're changing those things, it kind of makes it to where you know you got to retrain everybody to be like now that you know separate this or you're not doing this. Um, so it's just been it's been a roller coaster. And then of course the scary part is the county you know the, the governor's plan and everything has you know you can open up your county if you have reduced cases no right. increase in hospitalization or this or that well if we don't check off all those boxes of being safe then we go back to shutdown mode yeah and it's just and that uncertainty roller coaster which is what really scares me um we're trying to be as safe as we possibly can down there i mean we have uh, now porta potties that we uh, we actually got a pump spray bottle for like weeds that we have sanitizer in, and we sanitize the whole thing every 30 minutes. We have um, all of our staff is inside, so they don't. We're trying to eliminate all interactions with customers except for one person that stands outside who um, 
kind of greets people and they have face shields and everything. And then we got, uh, so we're trying to limit as much contact and kind of do as much as we can to stop the spread. Because in my mind, the worst thing that could possibly happen is one of our staff gets sick. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And then, you know. And then and they then, shut you down. Yeah, and then we, and then. Yeah, we would have probably volunteered yeah, we would, and then the other thing is if more people in our community get sick, then our county gets shut down. Right, and this is the catalyst for that, and it's like, oh, yeah. talk about bad publicity, so. Yeah, it's so it's, it's a lot of unknowns right now, too, just because we don't know if what, the another thing is like there's no rule book for this, right? There's no, right. I mean, the CDC came out with guidelines that said, I think it was to like wash your bathrooms every, uh, twice a day, and it's like, well, <laughs> like, some of those guidelines, I'm like, look, they, somebody needs to come up with a better rule set of how to protect people and keep things safe. Right. Um, so so uh, tell us, talk about Mexico. You talked about uh, Who wants vacation. a pet rock? What? Who wants a pet rock? A pet rock? Yeah. 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 Oh. Pet rock and a moon boot. Uh, we, we, this is the beer we're canning next Saturday. Okay. It's a, uh, it's... It's a, I don't know, maybe eventually I'll go more hazy, but I'm kind of not a hazy guy. Amen! <laughs> um, it's, it's got, I was thinking about it on the way over, it's got, including the Whirlpool and dry hop additions, it's about six and a half pounds per barrel. Oh, wow. And uh, it's uh, Citra, Mosaic, and Mandarin and Bavaria. I'm in, let's do that. Yeah, I've got, yeah, even got my gloves and my. So I'm gonna come around. So Andrew's uh, going to get back. Let's talk yeah. about the beers. So what beers exist? Hey, can now? we back up just a second? Sure. Can I ask a question about the canning? How how on the brewers end did you have to do anything different once you decided you're rolling in the the canning equipment to pressurize it to serve it to? Uh, well, it's not my. It wasn't my first time around this. 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 Uh, this I've been in other breweries packaging beer, so I mean, was able to call into like the skill set on that. But yeah. then I learned from it from the first time. So we're gonna do some a little additional things. Like right now, we're we're gonna overcarb our beer by 0.1 degree of CO2 volumes because I asked when the guy came through to do the pre-inspection of the site, you know, the site survey, and I'm like, what kind of CO2 loss is there during packaging? Because there always is. I don't know why I didn't like push harder, but I was just like, oh well, he knew. Uh, but you know, we, we carve our beer to 2.5 volumes, and so uh, I, that's what I prefer is like a good level for uh, drinkability. You want to drink more and not too bloated afterwards, too carbonated. Mm -hmm. Anyways, you lose about 0.1, so now we're over carbonating our beer just a tiny bit because taking into consideration that loss. And then we're gonna make like baffles because there's no trench trees or slope floors in our in the brewery. The first time we did it, water was everywhere. And so I, I got a bunch of inner tubes from a local bike shop in Mud River and we're filling it full of sand to make like, these little goofy baffles. It would probably actually, after thinking about it, I'm like, man, this would be great when I was home brewing. Because you know what, home brewer has a, tent, a trench drain. So you yeah. can have a bunch of inner tubes full of sand, just lay them down and you can corral your overspill and stuff. Cool. What about on the business side? Are you guys distributing much of the cans you bought? We, uh, we used to go. We used to distribute through uh, Chris Baker at Elaborated, and um, and then for us, it's always been a challenge because we're so small. Like once you go down and see our facility, it's, um, we're a tiny location, and our our patio in our own restaurant is a uh, busy place. So in the summertime, we've always ran out of beer, which is like kind of a messed up thing to do to a distributor. Be like. 
Yeah, I just want you to sell my beer in the wintertime when I have like not a lot of people, and then in the summertime, <laughs> um, I don't got anything for you. So that was kind of like our battle. So we've always, so we kind of went through actually a few distributors and then we ended up switching to self-distribution. And I think that's the model for the future, uh, unless some of the beer laws change in Oregon with distribution laws, but. Um, well, and the good thing is, is that you guys can self-distribute, yeah. right? Yeah. There's, no. there's some states that self-distribution, that's a big no-no. Right. So yeah. it's, it's really awesome that Oregon allows you no, or, to No, Oregon, uh, I think Oregon is like way ahead of the curve in so many things. And um, there's people that sometimes uh, complain or dog on the OLCC. And I'm like, no, the OLCC is actually pretty freaking amazing. And uh, they make all sorts of changes to try and help breweries out. They do a great job with it. I love the OLCC. I mean, they, any problems you have, you give them a call, and they are always willing to help. It's hard to give them a call right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. One thing is right now is not the time to call them. <laughs> so I want to go back to the beer. So the original beers that you brought into the brewery when you guys opened, how many of those are still on tap? <laughs> And None of them. None and, of them. Um, yeah, we, we started out with um, yeah, some beers, and it's actually kind of always been my, uh, one of my things about beers, like, I don't, I don't like keeping beers around for too long. Um, I think it's kind of, it can be kind of bad for the brewery if you, like, 10 years later you have the same beer on tap. Okay. Um, just because styles change, flavors change, people change. Um, I mean, bringing beers back once in a while I think is great, but I I, I like a rotating beer menu. Because yep. um, it makes it interesting to go back to the location, especially a place like us, which is like, most people are coming as tourists out here. You don't make enough that you can go get it in distribution. It's like, oh, well, I know if I come to Thunder Island, like maybe there'll be like one or two, three or four like of beers I've had before, but there could be, you know, another four new ones. Um, so I think, you know, you can come to some breweries where it's like, look, they always got the same eight beers on tap, and then they have one rotating. And it's like, ah, you know, that's kind of, to me, that's kind of boring. Because, uh, but, you know. Uh, yeah, I think you kind of have to match the market you're in, too, right? So if it's the neighborhood, neighborhood brewery, right, and you're in a suburb somewhere, Maybe it makes sense that people have an attachment to one or two breweries. I mean, that that are beers, but that kind of makes sense. But this is a tourism place, right? People are rolling in and rolling out. You need to stay relevant. You need to yep. be sexy. You need to be all of that. And when they come here to Thunder Island, they want something yep. that's new and cutting edge, right? Extra hoppy, hazy, yep. whatever's whatever's on <laughs> trend, right? Now I will say, since Andrew has been here, so when he when Andrew came on, I kind of like. He has full control over the beer. I didn't know that initially. Yeah. It was funny, it wasn't like a month and a half in, and I'm like, I have to keep making this cream ale, and then the David Crow, like, no, not at all. You don't have to make, you don't have to keep any of these beers. I'm like, sweet, sweet, it's fine. <laughs> and then it was just like, because I, you don't know, right? You're right. taking over, you don't know if someone's like super attached, like that's Dave's favorite recipe that his grandma had, or whatever. You know, it's like, I didn't know. Like, we never had that conversation. So I was making him. And then we had a conversation, and then we yes, we started like deviating. And, um, I think the IPA was the first one. I said, "Well, I don't want to make a five hop IPA anymore because I, I it, to, to me over three hops it just gets too muddled, and I just right. can't taste anything." And so then Dave's like, "Yeah, make a killer IPA." 
make the best IPA that you can. So what do we? Uh, so talk to me a little bit about the Mexican lager that we're drinking. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. What's what was the vision of this lager? To me, it seems like perfect hot and out of the river type beers. So. It is. Uh, what's it? four eight right? Four yeah. seven. Four seven. Four seven. Yeah, that yeah. one came out. Typically, it's four eight, but I think that one came out four seven. <laughs> but uh, um, that beer was That's a um, percent. Yeah, I. So as a brewer, when I first when I came when I was working double back to Double Mountain, you know they have a lot of big beers. They've changed since, but at the time it was a lot of big giant beers. And then I get this job over in Ireland. So the Irish drinker, like a seasoned Irish drinker, will drink like 10, 20 ounce pints in a night. They take a cab home. They have an amazing cab culture, but that's right. like a lot of freaking beer. But Guinness is four point three percent. Exactly. So. My oh, two, my I immediately have had to start making uh, a gold nail, which is four nine, and then uh, uh, Hellas at four two. I don't think it was four three. And uh, initially, I was like, God, this is like hard because <laughs> you, like I describe making low ABV beers, it's like trying to hide a, like a, a fat guy behind a skinny tree. Like any, <laughs> any off flavor, like imbalance on hoppiness or, what, or alcohol or anything, you it just taste shows. Yeah. And so, like you can you you can make a giant super high ABV hoppy beer, and it can be full of like off flavors, but you just can't tell because of the mass. Yeah. So initially, I hated it, and then I started to really like it. So when I came to here, um, I think we had a cream ale. What was the cream ale? It was like a little bit under five, right around five. Yeah, I think it's five. And then, but then, uh, ever since then, I've always wanted to have a lot. We have, it's weird, like, that we have, we don't really have two customers, I'm not generalizing, but, like, the Gorge drinks beer differently than what Portland does. Yeah, I can see that. The Gorge really likes sessionable stuff. They like to have one or two beers, and then someone will go out back and kiteboard or ride a bike or whatever. And, uh, and we don't have Uber. <laughs> so you guys can like, go to like a few bottle shops or whatever, and then just like, I'm calling Uber, see you later. You know? right. so, uh, so it's definitely, we like try to cover the gamut. And then uh, the, the Mexican lager, I don't know what the backstory, where it came about. It was just, oh, we can't make lagers in the summer because we have so few tanks. And I like to lager our beer for, well, full fermentation, it's five weeks, including lagering. And uh, I'd love to do six weeks, but when like I just when I, I'm also like business minded, and I'm sitting here at Dave Carolina, I'm like can't make lagers during the summer because I think when I got here there was like a short beer was on or something, and I'm like it just ties up a tank for like five weeks, and we can't run up here. We just have to make ales during the summer. Right. Those are three weeks. Yeah. Yeah. You know, yeah. And then so the lager we decided to make the Mexican lager like in spring. Or like right, like cusp, right the cusp of like winter and spring, and the whole idea was uh, there's so many people in the gorge that winter in Mexico mm-hmm. that we're just going to bring Mexican beer to the people that have stayed, and so that's where the whole concept came. And so this is our third year doing it now, second year, yeah. yeah, third year, and no plans on canning it, but then it came about, and we decided to can it. You know, we kind of got lucky with the canning because. We had three tanks full of beer, and there were two IPAs and one Mexican lager, which is like, and they were they were our big fifteen barrel tanks instead of like if we had had like a stout in one of those tanks, yeah, 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 or just anything that was like yeah, but not easily sellable. I mean, my IPAs still sell; it's amazing, but 
No, perfect timing on that, right? I'm sorry. Yeah. Yeah. I hope you're making another batch of this because this would seems like for that crowd that's going to be out on the river, this is a four pack that could be easy to go and just throw in the cooler. Oh, it's crushable. That's my yeah. favorite word, crushable for beers. Yeah. And, uh, that that beer um, definitely. Uh, I've got another one coming, but it's an ale. It's a Amarillo Pillow. Oh. It's a single hop Amarillo beer. Sweet. Uh, and then dry hop with some cryo Amarillo as well. And that's 4.20. Wow. No. This would fit very nicely in the back of my kayak. <laughs> you have a kayak, Tim? I do. Okay. Well, well that's all we have left in cans right now, so feel free to buy some. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a brewing capacity, so limited in where you're at, growing out of this beautiful new facility. Um, how big is the, how many barrels are you going to be able to produce here? Um, physically or theoretically? Theoretically. Physically. <laughs> Two different questions. Uh, do you know what I mean? What do you I, I don't know. It's, it's a, we're actually, originally we were going to do a whole new brewing system up here. Okay. We actually are going to be, once the shut, shutdown and everything happened, we're like, ooh, we kind of see a winter of, you know, winter's coming, this is gonna be long. So <laughs> we actually kind of uh, modified our order for equipment and we're gonna be bringing our stuff. And then, uh, so we're gonna have the same size system, more room to put tanks in Good. and more room to expand. And then and then really at that point, it's kind of just like the sky's the limit on uh, kind of how we go about things. I mean, eventually we're gonna run out of storage on site. So right. we're gonna have to have like an offsite storage. Just to hold all of the cakes that we fill, but um, but yeah, it's actually even though it's a new building and it's much bigger than we used to have, it's still pretty small at two thousand square feet for the uh, brewing space. Mm-hmm. Um, so you know some some of the more medium sized breweries are about five thousand square feet. It's like pretty safe size, and then of course you have people like good life that has just like an endless warehouse it feels like or some of those bigger worthy 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 has just like so i read your backstory so portland state university you're going through college you're home brewing you decide i'm going to ride my bike across america yeah right and then you're doing this bike thing in new zealand too i think yeah so and then you end up brewing in New Zealand. Talk yep. about what is that experience? I mean, how does that happen? Yeah, I, um, I had done the Transamerica Bike Group, um, which goes from Oregon to Virginia, and it's uh, a great ride. It took about three months. And um, along that route, I actually met two New Zealanders, um, Heather and Jackson. I ended up biking probably about uh, two-thirds of it uh, with them. And uh, then... I kind of, um, and actually at that time I, I didn't live in Portland, uh, so after that I was still in school at a, a really small, tiny school in Santa Cruz, and then I finished up school and then I was like, well, where do I want to move, because I kind of had my belief that you want to live, you want to move to where you want to live, you don't want to find a job, like, if I had found a job in, in, in Texas, <laughs> I would have hated it. And I was born in Texas, and I have family, but I'm like, no, I would never live there. Um, so uh, yeah, I ended up moving up to Oregon, and then uh, and then I ended up going to New Zealand uh, to do. Oh, the 
biking. I ended up doing about two months of biking. Um, and I, uh, I ended up biking around the island, stopping in at breweries, applying at them left and right. And uh, I think I stopped in at 37 breweries and kind of talked to almost everyone. I gave them my CV and and then, uh, and this was 2011, which actually was like the pre, I think their beer scene in 2011 was us in the United States in like 2000. And they were about 10 years behind us. And now they have a booming, booming scene. I went to almost every single brewery in this country then. And some of the people, it was like a garage and now they got like big old facilities. Um, yeah, I ended up getting a job just two hours south of Auckland in uh, Rotorua. The sweet town is where all the geothermal activity is. Stinky these, town. They have like all these hot springs. Eggs. and <laughs> <been there>. they, uh, <laughs> Yeah, they have a stinky good. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a sweet little town. They call it Rota Vegas. I don't know what they call it Rota Vegas, which is this name that doesn't make sense because it's nothing like Vegas. <laughs> and, they're like, and they're like, how is it like Vegas? And they're like, well, and then they try to explain it to you and you're like, no. Yeah, it's not like Vegas. <laughs> yeah, like it. Or you've never been to Vegas, have you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, but yeah, no, it's a sweet, uh, sweet little town. And uh, ended up working at Croucher's Room and worked in their restaurant as well. Awesome. And anything that you learned from there that you brought to this brewery when you opened your brewery, you're like, hey man, I, I really like what they did there and this is what I want to adopt, or no, not really? Um, <laughs> let's see, one of the things, uh, one of the things that I learned, that I was like, I'm never gonna do this, is they had a separate brewery and restaurant location. And one, so their, their brewery was over here and the restaurant was there, and I'm yeah. like, this does not make no. sense. No. Um, so business-wise, I was like, you know, is horrible. Um, People need to see that connection. Yes. Right? So that was the thing where I was like, you know, start a new brewery needs to be connected. Now, ironically, we have offsite storage, so that's <laughs> right now. I'm like, I ended up doing the one thing that I said. <laughs> so I can, we are moving vans full of stuff back and forth. Uh, but uh, cool. So craziest beer you produce? So I read about a wild old growth timber. Yeast rain that Dan pulled out of the forest of Forest Heights. But what's the craziest beer that you brewed? And same question for you. So well, saying, uh, that was all before me. The, <laughs> yeah, that was that was all early on. The the Brett uh, going to Forest Park. No, uh, my favorite beer that we brewed was the uh, uh, Brett saison that we did, and um, we did a saison, and then I think, oh man, it's been a long time. I think we actually brewed. Uh, seven barrel batch of Brett and a wow. seven barrel batch of Saison and then we mix them and then let them ferment a little bit longer. Ooh. And then we sent that to OBF and I gotta say, OBF is a tough crowd. That's my favorite <laughs> beer that they I've are ever a tough had. Crowd. And people went there and they tried the beer and they're like, this isn't a sour enough. And I'm like, well it's not, not fucking sour. <laughs> like, 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 it's not a sour, it's a Brett Saison. Like, it's supposed to be this, like, nice kind of uh, Brett beer. It's, and, it's, it's um, like reading on tap reviews. Oh, yeah. dude, it's untapped is, like, the most difficult thing. Uh, <laughs> but, I mean, I we, 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 talk about that, we talk about that with art, is, like, 
several years ago, and he's like, numbers are down. I'm like, it's because you have hell or high water watermelon every single insane. year, right? Yeah, you gotta clean but it up. that's what people wanted to drink. Like that college crowd yeah. that comes out of Portland State is like, we want to party it up, and we don't care how it tastes. We want yeah. hell or high water watermelon. But Portland's a little bit snobbier than that. Most of us that go, they were like, nah, we want something complex, something we haven't seen before, yeah. right? And so it is. It's about pleasing a couple different type of groups there. The evening crowd, maybe they need to switch the taps to something, color high water watermelon or whatever. Yeah, I don't know. <clears throat> it's it's a tough it's a tough beer festival. It's definitely not. I guess it's definitely not one of the beer drinkers beer festivals. Or maybe it is. I mean, there beer drinkers go there, but also you're right, college crowd. I think there. early on, I think as the parade comes into town yeah. and like the brewers brunch lets out. Yeah. Early on, I'm going to try the beer, the ten beers I want to try. Yeah. Right, but after that. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Right. Whatever. I did see an amazing uh, uh, Beastie Boys cover band there, though. They're so good. <laughs> they're in Seattle. I forgot their names, but they were so good. Yeah. <laughs> Every year there's something crazy, right? So, so what about you? Craziest beer you've done? Craziest beer I've done? In a production world? See, All I'm, the above. Whatever I'm, you want to do. Let's both sides. As a home brewer, and as a production brewer. Oh, I tried to make some type of lavender beer that was like super radical, but non-researched or whatever, and it turned out to be like just a muddled glass of shit. <laughs> uh, sounds like a guy I know that like used some, what was that weird? Saffron? Yeah, saffron, yeah. Deuces, yes. <laughs> yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I definitely, home brewing, I'll, I'll take, uh, I'll, I just, whatever, it's just five gallons. Thunder Island, I don't know. I don't think we've ever had a beer out of like like a, I'm not satisfied with. We had one we had to um, dump because the glycol, the valve broke, and so it, it heated up way too much. We couldn't get rid of the diacetyl and the weird esters, but tastes um, like butter. Yeah, and we tried everything. I mean, there's a lot of like you can resuscitate by like blending in like an act fermenting batch to help clean it up. It's right. Like, so uh, here. Not radical. Like um, we've got some sour barrels going on right now. We've got a um, we've got a saison in this this this. Uh, um, it's in a uh, it's white wine barrel right now, and uh, we just need to get that into a keg and taste it and get it into a keg. But otherwise, uh, I like to do stuff that's more kind of. Um, associated to like what is unique to this area so last year we did or two years ago i got a score on some i don't know if you guys have read the river blueberries are amazing yes yeah they're very they're very huge yeah. amazing yeah. super flavorful monstrous berries yeah so um so i was able to score uh like 400 pounds of blueberries and then we made a, a wheat it was a, uh, american no it's german wheat based beer and then we just Infused, it was, and uh, it was. We called that your turning violet. Violet. I really liked that. It was like super purpley um, because we used so many uh, blueberries. But then last year, you know, sugar pine over. You guys ever been sugar pine on the edge of um, uh, Troutdale there? I have not. Bring a little bait shack there. Yeah. Um, on the way up the mountain, we go there. Yeah, they those uh, husband and wife. Um, kind of Aaron is her name. And but we sell a lot of beer to them. Oh, well, before the times, as I like to call these. Uh, and we um, we went and 
forage for spruce and dug fir tips and made like a pale ale last year. That was pretty cool. It was super fruity um, because of all the, the early buds of those things, but I don't know about crazy. So now when you're, when you're doing the spruce tips, I've, I've always been fascinated by that because we, we did a review of a beer on the podcast it was probably four months ago now uh-huh. that, that they used spruce tips in the beer. Yeah. And it was fantastic. Nice. That was so, the Alaska or Anchor Winter, wasn't it? No. No, I think it was it was something wolf. Oh. Um, they, wolf they're down tree? south. Southern yes. Oregon. On the coast there? Yeah. Or by Newport? I believe yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, yeah. They're known for their spruce tip uh, but But that beer was just fantastic. So yes. I've always been fascinated with... What exactly is involved with spruce tipping your beer? I mean, what 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 is the actual ingredient that you're using from the spruce oh, to impart that flavor in the beer? All right, we're back. That's part one, man. <laughs> what did we learn there? We learned that uh, Dave, Ooh. crazy Dave, has a vision <laughs> of growth. Crazy Dave. Yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Brings it. He's got a great location for growth, growth too. And then um, he brings in Andrew. Yeah. And uh, Andrew is a crazy dude, man. He also has a vision of growth, but uh, he's the beer guy. And yes. Dave pretty much just hands the beer gu- beer off to him and says, "Run with it, baby." Yeah, he's kind of got the creative license to just just do what he needs to do. Uh, which is kind of nice from a brewer standpoint, especially at that level. Yeah, what's fascinating, I guess, is that um, the early inception of Thunder Island was, let's do something cool here in Cascade Locks. Let's see where it goes. Um, one of the original founders takes off, goes, and is with Breakside. And Dave's like, you know what? I'm sticking it out, and I'm going to uh, make Thunder Island a beast here in Cascade Locks, and I'm going to hire somebody awesome, and Andrew comes along, IT guy, and says, you know what? This is the lifestyle I want, So, and he's helping build this awesome brewery, and again, doing Saison's. messing with big, huge Hood River blueberries, doing some sours. All sorts of crazy stuff coming out of Thunder Island. And so far, it looks like a great combination. Oh, I think it's fantastic. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah so, well, so part two is going to be on the next episode, and uh, we'll go from there. But I think we should uh, talk a little bit about the Timbers win today. So, <laughs> Timbers go and are on a roll, dude. Yeah. And this MLS is. Who would have thought? Yeah. Who would have thought? Beats NYFC. Uh, moves on to the semifinals of the MLS's back tournament. Yeah. Um, some weird shit happening here. So we got Marvin Loria that's playing outside of his mind. Um, who else we got that's playing? Blanco, Valeri. Valeri's playing like he's 18 again. Well, and, and the, the reason I think Valeri's playing like he's 18 is he, he set out the whole first half. Oh, did he? Well, yeah, he yeah. good in the last game, they were too. They were saving his legs. So... They're 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 using what I would call effective player management here, which is awesome. I love seeing that. 
Well, I think Gio listened to the podcast from earlier this year and was like, hey, Jason and Gary have a point here. Uh, <laughs> if we just play Valeri 45 to 60 minutes. <laughs> we're going to kill it. We're going to win it. Yeah, we're going to so. kill it. So, uh, Gio, if you need any more tips, we're here. <laughs> just call us up. We're drinking Fruturistic <laughs> from Valley Brewing. And, uh, Gio, you got a glass right you, here. You definitely need a glass of that. Yeah. What else have we had tonight? So we had Coyote Moon, a um, little brewery in Sunnyside, Washington. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. Crazy, wicked amber ale. That man. was a fantastic amber. Yeah. Uh, I think the second fantastic amber out of that region that you pulled. Yeah, it's uh, crazy what they're doing with amber ale. So Yakima, hop, cap, hop capital of the world, crazy amount of hops being grown and produced and sent out. Um, so you're thinking big, bold IPAs, double yeah. IPAs, and, th- and there's plenty of that there. Sure. But literally two amber ales that I've tried there. I haven't tried. I've only tried two. And the two amber ales I've had are probably top five amber ales I've ever had in my life. Oh, I'd have to agree with that. Like, f- without a doubt. Fucking ridiculous. Yeah. I mean, so. the the malt flavor on it is not overpowering. It's it's very nice it's very subtle and it, it's very consistent yeah so so i would love to see the recipe on those beers so snipes mountain is it snipes yeah snipes, snipes mountain brewing uh their coyote moon is ridiculous and then the other one was a uh, hop capital and their amber ale that we had yes um, and it comes in a can. Man, do they are churning out some good beers at Hop Capital. They're doing great. Yeah, good beers. So, And then uh, after we had that fine crawler of Snipes Coyote Moon, we had a hazy IPA by Bale Breaker. Bale Break. Yeah, another Yakima yeah. Brewery. Yeah. Uh, I'm celebrating National IPA Day. I don't even know if that's really a thing, dude. There's a day for everything. Is there a day for Jason and Gary's podcast? We'll create one. We should create one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. This is National Portland Tim Beers Day. No, no, we gotta we gotta look back at the uh, actual this... inauguration day and make it that day. Um, okay, we can do that. So, <laughs> I'm in. I like that. I think we should just look at the calendar and make sure there's nothing else cooler on that day and, and just have and our own just day. And just call it that day. Yeah, I mean, how do you actually get declared a national I day? I don't know. You, you probably have to submit, like, a house worth of paperwork and go from there. We need a day, dude. National <laughs> Tim Beers Day. National Tim Beers Day. That'd be badass. That would be fantastic. We've done do, a lot it, of... do it the day before the Brewers Fest. Uh. Yeah, we could probably try that. Hey, I did have an idea for an interview. So we've got a bail breaker that we're trying to work on. Yeah. Trying to work on an interview with Haas uh, out of Yakima, which is a big hop producer, playing with some cool things with hops. Um, trying to work with a the beer writer off the Yakima Herald. Um, <clears throat> see if I'm we can get an interview there. I'm seeing a theme here. Yeah, it's called the Yakima. Um, <laughs> spent a lot of time there. <laughs> So, but I had another important idea. So, Brewfest got canceled, dude. Yeah, I saw that. I'm not real happy about that. Yeah, so it's supposed to be last weekend. And yeah. um, I was like, hey, you know what? You know who we interview every Brewfest? 
our main man. Artie Lawrence, man. Yeah. So we got to get Art on, man. I think we need to do an interview with Art, and I think we'd go over to Cascade. I know he's like doing that whole titrated passing off the ownership baton. Yeah, he's we doing need to go the have, transition. Yeah, have a beer with Artie, pop him onto an interview, and let's uh, see where the night goes. That would be awesome. I'm hoping we can end up in a hot tub with Artie. Because <laughs> I hear Hart, Art, Hardy. I hear Art likes to party. He pulls the chicks, too. He does. I yeah. Know. Yeah. Yeah. He uh, digs the long ball. So um, with that, so we got to reach out to Art and see what we can do there, because I think that would be a fun time. And really, I want to get his take on a couple different factors. So for the very first time in history, last month, Seltzers actually outsold the light beer category altogether. So we're talking Coors Light, Bud Light, Miller Light, and yeah. uh, Seltzer category beat the shit out of it. So, and it wasn't even close, man. So does that mean like the country's gone to shit? The country's gone to shit, definitely. But but uh, that just proves it. But everybody's drinking fucking seltzers. <laughs> so. so and because of that, today in Business Insider magazine, they're talking about a aluminum can shortage. And they point directly to hard seltzers and all the other people that are using the aluminum cans. Well, that puts a crimp on you, doesn't it? I kind of call bullshit because the aluminum cans that seltzers use are little skinny little bastards. Yeah, they're tiny. And the ones the beers use are 12s or 16s, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're totally two different cans. (laughs) So I don't totally get that. And then the article actually talks about the reason for the shortage is... Uh, because of there's production differences in like printing labels on the cans. I'm like, all the cans that I've seen lately are coming out as blanks and people are putting wraps on these cans. Exactly. So what are we talking about? Like, Yeah, I don't know. Somebody's talking out yeah. their ass. Well, and the other thing is, is if you've had a drop off in beer sales and an increase in seltzer sales, wouldn't that just be a null null? On supply of aluminum? That's what I think so. But yeah. I think I think the other piece is somebody should dig into this. Yeah. What if the big beer companies bought the aluminum companies and said, you know what? Screw them. All these little microbreweries are going to start canning because of oh, COVID. Oh, yeah. Let's cut back. We're cutting back, supply. baby. Yeah. Yep. I have no fact to base that on. But Wow. But there's, there's something a conspiracy weird going theory on. for you. Yeah, I don't know. They better not screw with me getting cans. I'm telling no. you that. I got a freaking culture I still need to can up. And you, if there's you no piss cans, off Rogers, dude, we're all, going it's down. It's all done. It's all we're done. Going down. Ex, like you ever heard the executioners? <laughs> That's me, dude. We're going down. There it is. So, yep. All right, man. Well, so part two's coming at you here in another week. We'll get yeah. this bad boy up. Huge thanks to our boys over at Thunder Island, Dave Lips and Andy Rosette. And thank you for your patience. It's been amazing. Cue the Guns N' Roses music. No. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, no, just uh, laziness, uh, file formatting. I got a lot of excuses. Don't, don't really matter, but part one's here. And um, our boy Tim, we miss you, buddy. Uh, our mascot. Thanks for adding input and being the color guy on the uh, interview. Uh, look for part two soon. Tim Beers. 
Thanks for listening to the Portland Tim Beers Podcast. Be sure to visit the Portland Tim Beers Podcast on ACAST.com to join the conversation, access the show notes, and discover our fantastic bonus content. If you love the Tim Beers Podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, Tim Beers. Tim Beers.